Early in the week, I, I told Marie I'd be teaching about gratitude, and she mentioned to me that several years back, five, six years ago, she, she started a journal on, on being thankful, and uh, she ended up listing like 244 things she's thankful for. And so I thought, well, I'll look at the journal for inspiration and maybe to see where I rank in the 244 as well. So I opened the journal, and sure enough, first page, right off the bat, I see my name, I'm number two. And, and that's a good thing. Marie and I have known for a long time when our mind is right, like Jesus is number one. He's, he's the biggest one to be thankful for. And so I'm number two. I'm feeling pretty good about it. But I look back, and then I see what number one is, and it's our home. Our house trumped me. It's not a mansion. It's a three-bedroom, two-bath. And I'm thinking, how can that be that she lists the house before me? But I, I recovered pretty quickly. I realized that uh, she didn't say this was a, like a forced rank of, of my most thankful and second most. And it's just that she thought of the house before she thought of me. So that wasn't quite as bad. <laughs> so I turned the page to look at another one. And sure enough, she's thinking about me. She's writing that, that I'd left on a retreat for the weekend. I'm, I'm touched that she's thinking of me. I look down at her gratitude for the day. And she says, I'm thankful to have a few days for me alone at home. I haven't looked past page two. I have enough inspiration for the day. So that's how I started my prep for today, and it got better after that at some point. <laughs> so, so I want to talk about Thanksgiving, and I want to use as, as a key verse 1 Thessalonians 5.18. It says, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Be thankful in all circumstances. This is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. I could teach about being thankful in the day-to-day, but Dana Aronson, one of our lead pastors, did the best job I've ever heard on that August 12th, just three months ago. So, in fact, if you were here, you probably picked up one of these stickers that says three, and his challenge was to think of three things each day to be thankful for. If you didn't, there are stickers in the back, but I've seen them on trucks in the Bay Area, on journals in the Bay Area, on desks in the Bay Area, but he taught about how to be thankful day in, day out. So I want to focus on how to be thankful this Thursday. How to be thankful on Thanksgiving Day itself. And I want to, first I want to step back and acknowledge that there are a number of you in the room today for whom Thanksgiving seems impossible. You've suffered loss of one kind or another, maybe tragic loss of a loved one who has passed away, maybe loss of a marriage or important relationship, Maybe loss of a job or income or hopes or dreams, but, but I know there are a number of you that are in the room today and you're thinking, I've, I've come the wrong Sunday because where I'm at now, with what I'm experiencing now, there's no way that I can be thankful. And I want you to know I've, I've been in your chair. Maybe I've not experienced exactly what you have, but I've experienced the deepest tragic loss of life. And, and all other kinds of losses. Well, I've, I've sat in your chair. And I want to look with you at, at who the one was who wrote these words in Thessalonians and who he was writing to because it might help us out. Paul is the one writing these words. And, and the, the buildup to him writing it goes back to Acts chapter 16 and 17. Uh, Paul and Silas and maybe a few others were, were traveling around the Mediterranean telling folks about Jesus. They came to Philippi, first time that that uh, people in Philippi heard about Jesus, and many people began to follow Christ at Paul's teaching, but things began to turn, and there were these opponents there. It turns drastically bad, 
And it says that Paul and Silas were, were beaten, like severely, it says severely beaten with rods and thrown in prison. And so they're in prison that night and somewhere around midnight, no one in the entire prison can sleep because Paul and Silas are singing praises and thanksgiving to God. These guys, he's bloody and bruised and beaten. He doesn't know what tomorrow brings. And somehow he's authentically singing praises to God. This is a guy that, that wrote those words. There's this big jailbreak that God orchestrates that you'll have to read in Acts 16 if you don't know about it. And, and so he gets out of prison there. He leaves Philippi. He makes a 100-mile journey to the city of Thessalonica. Both of these places are northern Greece today. He gets to Thessalonica, and he spends, he spends only three weeks there. He's the first one to tell people about Jesus there. There are a number that begin to trust and follow Jesus. But within three weeks' time, there's this massive opposition and, and the new believers send Paul and Silas away because the, the, um, the suffering is so intense, they send them away. And so Paul leaves. He goes all the way down to southern Greece to Athens. But he gets down there, and he's concerned because there are these people that have known Jesus for, like, for three weeks or less. And there's this severe persecution that they're enduring right now. He's worried about them. So he sends Timothy back to Thessalonica just to encourage them and just hope above all hope that they still believe in Jesus, that he's worth the suffering. So Timothy's just gotten back, and some biblical scholars think that, so all of this has happened just in a matter of weeks. Timothy's just gotten back, and he writes this letter to the people in Thessalonica. And he begins to write to them and talk about their circumstances. So this is who, who he speaks the words to at the end of the book about being thankful in all circumstances. In chapter 1, verse 5, he says... When we brought you the good news, it was only with words. It was not only with words, but also with power. For the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what we said was true. And you know of our concern for you from the way we lived when we were there with you. So you received the message with joy from the Holy Spirit in spite of the severe suffering it brought you. And he comes back in chapter 2, verse 14. He comes back to it again and says, Dear brothers and sisters, you have suffered persecution. He knows the circumstances they're in. He gets down to chapter 3, and he talks about it again. This is where he, he refers to sending Timothy back because he was so concerned their faith wouldn't survive the suffering. And so he talks about Timothy coming back to strengthen them because he knew you'd, that they'd be shaken by the troubles they were going through. He said, even when we were with you, we warned you that you would have troubles. And then chapter 4, it unfolds that in this brief window of time, some of these brand-new followers of Jesus have already died. Persecution, maybe. Illness, maybe. Old age, maybe. Some have already died. This brief one, or maybe just weeks that some have already died. And that's beginning to, to deeply disturb them. And Paul writes to them and he says, I, I, I understand where you're at. Can I tell you a couple things? You've got to keep your eyes on, on this bigger picture as you grieve the loss. You have to keep your eyes on the picture that Jesus died for your sins and mine, and he's forgiven them. You can't forget that in your grieving and loss. And then he says you have to remember, keep this in your, on your mind and on your heart, that Jesus rose from the dead, and every Christ follower that dies will also rise from the dead. Don't forget that. Don't forget that. He's not saying to them, set aside your grief, discount your grief, cover your grief. What he's saying is in your grief, don't look at, at that limited picture of what's happened now. To the church at Corinth, he would write the, the hardship we suffer is just for a brief moment compared to the eternity of glory we'll experience. He's saying, pull back, look at the bigger picture. Look at the bigger picture that is here. 
Kevin Pate is one of our lead pastors. In, in recent weeks, his grandmother has, has died. And his grandmother had a special role in his life. Kevin spent summers with his grandmother and grandfather. Massive influence upon his life, even to this most recent time before she died. And so Kevin came back from a funeral, and I, I asked how he was. And he said, it's, it's this strange experience of I, I feel such sadness and grief. But at the same time, I feel such gratitude to God. At the same time, I'm, I'm in this real sorrow. I'm missing her and her life. There's this gratitude to God that, that I got to be in her life. I got to be your grandson. There's this deep gratitude that she knew and loved Jesus. There's this gratitude that she went to heaven. I, I'm living in both worlds. And instantly I thought about what Paul would write in 2 Corinthians 6.10. In the preceding verses, Paul would write about, about the hardships that they had suffered. And then he would say, our hearts ache, but we always have joy. Our hearts ache, but we always have joy. So if you're one of the ones who's here today and you think Thanksgiving would be a hard thing to genuinely do, my challenge to you is, is to look at the whole picture. Look at the whole Don't discount the grief you have, but look at the whole picture. Our, our American heritage of Thanksgiving Day, as many of you would have learned back in grade school, came from the pilgrims. They came to America in 1620, so they came 398 years ago. A year later, they're celebrating what we call the first Thanksgiving. It, obviously, it wasn't, but we call it the first Thanksgiving. And, and we know that they had this massive, uh, maybe they didn't have a table, had massive spread of food there. And they're, they're celebrating how good God has been to them. But maybe we forget that a year before, 102 of them arrived. And a year later, when they're celebrating, 45 have died. They've had 45 funerals. And these aren't funerals of strangers. These are funerals of sons and daughters and mothers and fathers and dear friends, 45 funerals. And you know on that very first Thanksgiving day, you know they were grieving more than I can imagine. And yet they, they found a way to widen their vision and see the full picture and had this authentic gratitude to God. That's what I'm hoping for you if you're in one of those seasons of grief. Thanksgiving is, tends to be packed with traditions, maybe more than any other holiday other than perhaps Christmas is. But one of those traditions for so many of us is food, isn't it? Probably comes from the pilgrims because we know they had this massive spread of food. And so for many of us, there's this major part of the holiday, it's, it's food. I know in, in my house, in Marie's house growing up, both of us, it was always it was turkey and gravy, and I'm getting hungry talking about it for the second time this morning, and cornbread dressing, not just any cornbread dressing. Can I eat? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, it gets, gets better. Pumpkin pie, pecan pie, and, and all the filler around that. That was, that was what we grew up with. And, and our Thanksgivings have looked a lot like that. Maybe we've changed the menu around some, but, but it's always for us. There's this major part of Thanksgiving for us is about a feast. There's this feast that's there for us. What about you? Is, is food a big part of your Thanksgiving tradition? Is, is it a major part? Or maybe just a modest part or maybe a minor part for you? For many of us, food is this big deal. There's another tradition for a number of us in the room, and that's this tradition of family and friends, of being with certain people on Thanksgiving Day. And, and I know for Marie and me, there was a season when our boys were in junior high and high school. Our tradition was to go camping for the week. 
We would pick a state park and go off and camp the entire week of Thanksgiving. We did that for several years during that season. Some special memories. One was when it unexpectedly got down to 30 degrees. We didn't have the cap that Katie had on that she was telling you about. Didn't have one of those. Uh, the most memorable Thanksgiving of that season was we were, in a, we were near a town, a small town in central Texas. I've forgotten the name of it or what park it was at. But we went into the town early in the week, decided we would not... We would not fix the big Thanksgiving meal. We would go eat it at a restaurant. There's this restaurant there that had this big advertisement out, come eat Thanksgiving with us. And so I did my due diligence, and I went in, and I, I looked at their menu, and it was everything I dreamed of. I found when they were going to close. I, I asked them when the peak time was, and they said probably at noon. Closing was at 2 or 3 or so. And so we mapped out, well, we will, we will not eat that day until we show up there. No breakfast, no lunch, we'll miss the crowd. Whenever it closed, two or three, we're going to show about 45 minutes before closing time. Uh, turkey, gravy, cornbread, all in our mind. And so we're starving. And, and the hours are dragging, and finally the time gets there, and, and we, we drive to the restaurant. It's going to be the best-tasting Thanksgiving ever. We drive up, and the parking lot is empty. Not a single car, and I go up, and they've locked the door, and they've gone home. And if I had known where they lived, I, I would have gone there. I, I still, I think I've forgiven them all these years. I'm not sure about that, but, but we were starving. But, but I thought, we'll find another place, and we, it's a little town. There was not a single place in town, not even a fast food place, not a single one. The nearest town of any size was 30 miles away. We drove there dying. In that town, there's only one place open. It's Dairy Queen, and they're about to close. So we go in. There's this bunch of people trying to order. They're about to close, and, and I'm thinking about how, what I've done to my kids for Thanksgiving. And, and so to recover the day, I, I make this magnanimous gesture. I say, you can order anything on the menu as much as you want, this generous gesture. And there's this pause. One of the boys looks at me and says, Dad. It's Dairy Queen. It's just Dairy Queen. <laughs> but th that was part of our tradition was that's how we celebrate. For Now it's most all of our extended families in the Houston area. Now it's, it's gathering this Thursday. We'll be gathering. How about for you? Is part of your Thanksgiving, is a major part of it, is family and friends, maybe a modest part, maybe a minor part of it? By the way, there's a new tradition forming this year. Like this Friday, day after Thanksgiving, new tradition that the DOC, our Ministry for Unmarried People, has. And so this Friday night, day after Thanksgiving, there'll be a gathering of, of the DOC. And there'll be food and fun and fellowship and all that. Check out the website if you're unmarried. But there's a new tradition beginning. Tradition of food, tradition of family and friends. There's been a tradition of some of football. If you're a Cowboy fan, uh, you would probably have that on your radar if your better half allows you to do that. Maybe she's a Cowboy fan. But, but for many, it's been football. Dallas Cowboys have played on Thanksgiving as long as I can recall. For years, A&M and Texas played. And there was a time in our life, it was a major part of the tradition. Now, not so much. But maybe for you, maybe that's part of it. Maybe you've, you've hit every box. Your food is big. Family, friends is big. Football is big. What about the tradition of giving thanks? 1 Thessalonians 5.18, be thankful in all circumstances. This is the will of God for those who belong to Christ Jesus. To be honest with you, those first few years that Marie and I followed Jesus, Thanksgiving was barely in the day. 
it wasn't that we didn't want to have to give thanks. We just didn't know how to crowd it in with all that was going on with the crowd that was usually there and the food that was there and the football and all that. We just didn't know how to fit it in. And so maybe you're that way. Maybe, maybe Thanksgiving, actually, actually giving thanks on Thanksgiving Day, maybe it just barely registers, but you'd like it to be more. So I want to share with you some things that we've learned that have helped us. And they're just ideas. Maybe it'll spark other ideas, and you can talk with those around you when the service is done and, and, and get other ideas still. But, but one key is this, is having unhurried time alone with God. For me and then for Marie to have unhurried time alone with God. I, I can't even well recall all I have to be thankful for if I don't stop and linger before God. I can't... I can't just, I don't want to just say the words. I want my heart to be filled with gratitude. And I can't microwave that. So I found for me, I'm a morning person. I, I need to have early morning time, Thanksgiving Day. It's just me and God. And the whole idea is to sit before him and ask him to remind me of the blessings he's given me in the past year. And let my heart swell with that and then have time to thank him. For Marie, she's a, a night person. For her, it has to be nighttime and I've seen some of her journals, and, and she'll be late into the night, be thanking God. Um, but there, for us, there has to be some kind of time that's set aside with God. Now, if you're the one that's doing the major prep, and you have the crowd coming, you have the food, I, I empathize with you. There was one year we were having the family at our house. We were hosting. Marie prepared all the food the day in advance, just had it all in the refrigerator, and then she woke up so sick Thanksgiving Day. So it was my job to get all the food heated up. I thought, what's the big deal about that? So she, she shows me a flow chart. <laughs> we have an oven with two racks, and, and the flow chart has it all sequenced out because everything has to be heated up, different temperatures, different lengths of time. And so there's dressing, there's turkey, there's uh, mashed potatoes, there's green beans, on and on and on. And, and it was, I've been in some, some chemical plants. This was as complicated as that. And so I'm... I start the morning of that, and um, Marie's parents are there. Marie's dad, who's now been in heaven 12 years, very outgoing, very much extrovert, one of the most important men in my whole life. He loved to talk. And I can't do two things at once, and so I'm trying to follow the flow chart, and he's talking with me, and I was exhausted. I was ex if you're the one who prepares the food, I was just warming it up. You actually prepare the food, I, I empathize. But I have a couple thoughts just for you to ponder. I don't know what you'll choose to do with them, but just to ponder. Scripture talks about there was a day that Jesus was in the home of his dear friends, Mary and Martha. And on that day, Martha spent the entire time in the kitchen preparing this massive feast, and she was doing it out of love for Jesus. Mary spent the day at Jesus' feet, personally engaging with Jesus. When the day was done, Martha was angry at Mary because Martha had done all the work, and and so Martha's saying to Jesus, what, are you going to set her right? Are you going to tell her what she should have done? And surprisingly, Jesus said, you know what, Martha? Mary found the better thing, and I won't take it away from her. So maybe it means if your day is, is so full providing the feast, maybe it means asking some others to share in the preparation of the feast, maybe. So you have time, energy. Maybe it means having a simplified feast. Maybe it's not having everything. Maybe you have everything and maybe your Thanksgiving day is the next day. Maybe it's just in your plans, it's on your calendar. Thanksgiving day, it is going to be so consumed. 
to Friday, that's your day. That's your day to sit quietly with God and, and ask him, remind me, God, of all the ways you've blessed me this year. And let your heart catch up to that and thank him. Unhurried time with God. Second thing we learned early on was, was uh, the role that scripture might play. We had gone down to the valley to visit my parents and I asked my mom if she would pick a psalm of thanksgiving that was one of her favorites. So she, she picked Psalm 100 and we read it together collectively that day. It's a psalm that we've read now many Thanksgiving days as a family, as a family and friends and strangers, whoever shows up. And so let me read it to you because there may be, there may be a psalm, this one or another or scripture, that, that could cause everyone to stop and think about the goodness of God. This is what this one says. Shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing with joy. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. We are his people the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever. And his faithfulness continues to each generation. We found just in stopping and together, just reading that caused us to stop and think about the goodness of God. It, it, it moved us toward thanksgiving. Third thing is what around the house we call we just call cranberries um years back shirley dobson and gloria gaither wrote a book called let's make a memory Marie read it about 30 years ago and one of the suggestions there about bringing god into thanksgiving was this was to have a bowl of of cranberries at the table when the when the meal is done while everyone's still at the table then then pass the bowl around have everyone take take two cranberries each person take two cranberries set them on their plate and then a second bowl would be passed around that was empty, and people would be asked when their turn came to put the first cranberry in and say, this is what I'm most thankful to God for in this past year. And then put the second cranberry in and say, this is what I'm asking God for most in the year ahead. And we've done this with, again, with uh, family and friends and strangers. We've done it with people that know Jesus, people that don't know Jesus. We've never had anyone not want to do it We've never had a Thanksgiving uh, where there wasn't something of, of deep value expressed, where there wasn't someone who, who had such emotion thanking God for something of goodness in the past year. And oftentimes it's something we didn't even know about in their life. Or it's been someone putting a request in that bowl and saying, this is what I'm most yearning for. And with, with deep emotion, such vulnerability. And, and it would take, depending on the size of, of the crowd, it would take 10 or 20 minutes. But it's, it's this, become this sacred 10 to 20 minutes of everyone that's gathered for it, focused on God and his goodness, and focused on God and what he might do in the year ahead. It's, it's been important. It's been big to us. I don't know what it would be for you that could draw people around and specifically have people think and talk about what they're thankful for to God. Maybe it's cranberries, maybe it's something else, but it's, it's mattered to us. Marie began that very first year. She collected the cranberries that were in the bowl with the thanks and the requests. And, and I didn't know this, but while cranberries shrivel, they never spoil. So she's got a jar this big that's filled with 30 years of thanks and requests to God. 30 years of memories of what has been expressed at the table there. One last thought is this is we'll usually put out a Thanksgiving journal and we'll tell the crowd that's there, we'll say, if sometime during the day you want to just pause and, and write down in this journal what you're thankful for, then just um, it'll be on the coffee table. 
And so uh, it's interesting as the day unfolds that from time to time we'll see someone over there with sitting down with this book open and spending time and, and writing, sometimes writing with emotion in it. I pulled this one out. This is from back a few years ago. And one of the things expressed here, one of our family members is writing in this particular year and saying it was, it was almost exactly a year ago this day you saved me. Yeah, thank you for saving my life a year ago this day. In this book, there are two or three years of Marie's dad, who's been in heaven 12 years, writing what he was thanking God for. They're priceless, just priceless. But one more place, one more way to cause us to stop and, and ponder the goodness of God and to thank God. What would it look like for you if you find that Thanksgiving Day usually doesn't have giving thanks as a major part, or maybe even a modest part, maybe even a minor part? What would it look like for you? What could you do to have giving thanks a bigger part of this Thursday coming up? Maybe it's time alone with God. Maybe that would work for you. Maybe maybe it's um, um, cranberries like this. Maybe it's a scripture that's read. Maybe it's a prayer journal. What would it look like for you? You'll have to be intentional. It, it probably won't just happen. You have to think before the day actually comes. What would it look like for you to be this? For this to be a major tradition? Thanksgiving, food, family, friends, football, and giving thanks. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for those of you that belong to Jesus Christ. I'm going to give you a kind of an on-ramp to Thanksgiving now. Uh, where you're sitting, I want you to ponder for a moment what you are most thankful for from this past year. You won't have to tell anybody. Just, just ponder. Sit there and think for a moment what you're most thankful to God for over the past 12 months. And then I want you to sit there and ponder what your biggest prayer request of God is for the coming year. If you could have one thing that God would, would say yes on, what would it be? So I want to give you some time now to bow your heads, close your eyes, and ponder those two questions. And if you land on the biggest Thanksgiving, then spend time in these moments thanking him from the heart. And, and if you land on what you most want, spend time asking him, fervently asking him what you most want. And then after you've had some time, then Mark's going to lead us in worship.
So. 
Father, indeed, how great you are, Father. I sang that song as a, as a kid in junior high, Father. Somehow it grabbed me, but I had no idea, no idea. And now I think I do, but it's only the tip of the iceberg of how great you are. Father, uh, you've heard many thanks offered to you in these just recent minutes. Many thanks offered to you. You've heard many requests lifted to you. You're a great God. You're a good God. We worship you. We move to Thanksgiving, Father. I pray we can move with our hearts wide open to you, with our thoughts on you. We take advantage of a day called Thanksgiving. And we make room, we make space to be so mindful of how good you've been to us. Even, or maybe especially, if this is the hardest time. We could be mindful yet of this bigger picture of how yet you're good, yet you're good in the biggest picture of all, Father. May may it be a day that will fill our hearts because we recognize who you are and what you've done for us. May it be a day that fills your heart because there's been rightful praise offered to you, Father. So, Father, we're prepared. We're excited to go into Thanksgiving Day, Father. We give you the rest of this day and this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, friends. God bless you.